this will all be part of the podcast. One of us is getting a vaccine. The other one is having a train wreck of a morning. Christina's looking for a baby. Neftali's daughters. Oh, yeah. Neftali, your daughters are going to be. What, <laughs> what were you saying? The thing that is newish about this stage is that they just can't stand being around you, which is more evidence for not doing this for any sort of personal gratification. You guys have people bring you half-baked ideas and then expect you to execute them. Like, everyone at work is just obsessed with Dave and I having kids. They just, they, they just want it so bad. It's like it's so upsetting for people. Most of the time, I'm super nice, but man, sometimes it's just like, it's just like, it's too much. All right, we're going to have an intervention. Uh, we'll do a contextual interview with Bridget after yes. the podcast. You'll so. find everything <laughs> out. <laughs> Hi, everybody. This is the Integrated Care Podcast sponsored by the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. We're so happy to have you join us again today. As appropriate for 2020, we're a little bit of a train wreck this morning. We have one podcaster getting their vaccine literally right now as we are recording this live. Um, you can guess who that is. It's this, the most stylish uh, member of the team. And uh, and then our, our usual podcast lead, Grace, is uh, just having a host of life and, and technical difficulties this morning. So we're, we're we, we don't, not sure if she's going to show up, but we are here. By we, I mean, I'm Neftali Serrano. I'm the uh, CEO here at the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. We're happy to be here. And then uh, Christine is also here with us. Christine, say hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. I'm Christine Borst. I make up a new title for myself every month. So today I'm the jack of all trades and I love integrated care. Awesome. And then we also have all the way on the West Coast, much earlier in the morning than we are here, uh, Bridget Beachy. Bridget, say hello. This is Bridget Beachy, I'm a behavioral health consultant in the state of Washington in Yakima, Washington. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with Christine. I love integrated care. In fact, I have clinic in about 41 minutes. So pumped up for that. Which tells you we've got to end in 40 minutes, <laughs> if not sooner than that. So uh, we've got a really good show for you today. Uh, we're going to be really uh, doing a year in review show. We thought that, you know what, this has been a crazy year. Let's, let's just kind of rehash it, um, sort of do a little bit of catharsis around it. Uh, talk a little bit about the podcast and uh, other stuff that has been notable about this uh, ridiculous, crazy year. Uh, before we do that, however, we've got a few things to get to. I've got some news and notes here real quick to uh, share with you. First of all, a couple of these links uh, you'll actually find on our Twitter feed, uh, at CFHA underscore tweet is our Twitter feed at CFHA underscore tweet. So a couple of news and notes just to kind of look up on that uh, Twitter feed. Um, there's a New York Times article that we posted on the mental health pandemic, uh, what they're calling the fourth wave. Really interesting read on uh, what they're expecting and forecasting re related to mental health need and some of the issues around shortages, et cetera. Uh, stuff that we in integrated care obviously really care about. 
And then we've got another link up there from the Harvard Center for Health Law and Policy Innovation. Uh, really interesting take and, and just shows you how important it is for there to be a community of folks working on uh, reforming the healthcare system because these folks are, are lawyers who really are passionate about uh, social determinants of health and enabling healthcare providers to meet those uh, social determinants of health. So they've put out a uh, white paper on their site uh, talking about the uh, legal risk of fraud and abuse related to um, using healthcare dollars essentially for addressing social determinants of health. So uh, check out that link from the Health Center for Health Law and Policy Innovation uh, on our Twitter feed. The other news and note I have for you today is uh, Family Systems and Health, which is our official journal. Um, you can find the uh, list of current articles on our news site, integratedcarenews.com. So there's, a, there's just a particular article on there that I'll draw your attention to. It's titled Intercultural Differences in Healthcare Experiences of Latinos in a Non-Traditional Destination Area. Um, and basically what they found was um, they, they looked at uh, Latinos in Cincinnati from two groups, and they had Mexicans, Mexican immigrants, and Guatemalans. And this is something as a Latino that's very important to me, uh, and that came up in our recent election, which is that Latinos are not one monolithic group. We've been trying to say that for many years, <laughs> and now we found that out in the election, right? <laughs> it's not one monolithic group. So they found this out related to healthcare and perceived healthcare barriers as well. So Mexicans, uh, the Mexican immigrants in Cincinnati had a very different uh, experience and understanding of healthcare and healthcare barriers than the Guatemalan immigrants in uh, the city of Cincinnati. And that's important because addressing those then from the healthcare system side would need to be, there be need to be different strategies. So for example, the Mexican immigrants were much more likely to say, that chronic illnesses like diabetes, for example, were a key issue uh, for them, whereas the Guatemalan contingent said that access to healthcare was actually much more of a, a key issue. So just take a read through it. Uh, check it out again on integratedcarenews.com. If you actually want to read the article, uh, if you're a member, you get access to FSH and you access that through our website through the usual means. So that is our news and notes for today. happy to report that um, the lead for our podcast has made it. We'll figure out whether her, her sound will come through here in a moment. So Grace, are you here? Are you really here? Nope, she's not here. Of course she's not here. She's talking, but, <laughs> but she cannot be heard. All right, we will come back to Grace when, we are, when she is uh, uh, worked up on her tech side. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes. Ah, oh my word. This morning is just, you know, when you, when you suggested the idea, Naftali, to recap 2020 on our podcast this morning, I didn't know that my morning was going to be just a perfect isomorphic representation of recapping 2020. Everything that went wrong could go wrong, but I'm here. Apparently you can hear me somewhat. I'm sorry if my audio is terrible, um, but I'm really glad to get to join you guys because I love to spend time in reflection. I love to look back even when it's looking back at rough edges and bumpy times, and I'm excited to do that with you guys this morning. Well, um, Grace, you came up with a, a bunch of sort of 
questions for us, including I think you had an icebreaker for us, right? So the icebreaker was share a word that resonates with 2020. <laughs> uh, we may need to, well, I, I guess we don't need to censor this podcast. Uh, Kevin can decide what he what word, <laughs> words he wants to bleep out. So when, maybe we could start with that icebreaker. And Grace, since you came up with the icebreaker, why don't you get us started? <laughs> Sure. So I'm Grace Pratt. I'm the behavioral medicine faculty at Great Plains Family Medicine in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I'm the podcast editor. And I think my word for 2020, or a word that kind of resonates for me, is hectic. <laughs> um, you know, parts of this year have been hurry up and wait. It's been everything from figuring out you know, this morning, how to scramble to get here. It's also my first full year as a single mom. And so that's been a lot of adapting, figuring out what everything is going to look like and improvising. Um, and just the pace of 2020 has been really strange because there have been days and weeks and hours that felt like they lasted the full year and then there have been months that have flown by so hectic is a word that resonates for me in 2020 um even despite my just constant pursuit of peace and mindfulness uh which speaking of peace and mindfulness i want to mention to everyone that our cohort host dp george is not with us this morning because he is getting his covid vaccine this morning and so i wanted us to take a moment to celebrate that and just be in gratitude for the scientific advances that have happened this year and as we're looking forward and wishing um you know good health to Deepu as he's doing that bridget right. let's hear about your introduction and your word for 2020. yeah so we actually did a little mini intro already but i have uh, the word ready, adaptation. So 2020 has brought with it a lot of challenges and I have found a lot of silver linings in it. I actually feel guilty maybe saying this. I've had a good year. You know, I, I feel like I learned a lot about my team. I learned a lot about my the patients I've worked with, uh, resiliency. I learned how to golf. Uh, the Lakers won the championship. And uh, I've never read so many books in all my life because there's nothing else to do. So uh, I am concerned as far as obviously the health of anybody who's, I've had multiple family members with COVID, thank goodness, knock on wood, they're pulling through. So for anybody who's lost somebody, that's a whole nother thing. And obviously we'll never uh, be in a situation uh, like this, hopefully again, uh, with regards to the amount of losses we've had. But as far as a personal perspective, I feel like there's been just a lot of blessings and a lot of gratitude. So um, I'm grateful for 2020. That being said, if 2021 wants to be a lot better, uh, that's okay too. Definitely. Thank you. I don't think, you know, I don't think there's anything to feel guilty about, about having a good year, but I can understand that perspective for sure. You know, we look around and we're thankful for what we have and also so some of that I think is just compassion for seeing and recognizing other people's struggle. Yeah, especially if somebody lost somebody, you know, or directly affected or they lost a patient or what have you. That's the thing that, uh, knock on wood. Yeah. So I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. I think there's a lot of people that can resonate with having 
seeing blessings in the year and 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 even in some ways flourishing in the year. I mean, I think that's part of the the reality of this situation that it's touched us all in very very different ways. Um, so I, I I'm glad you said that because I think people people will connect to that. Um, Christine, what's a year a word that resonates for you this year? So every year I try to be really intentional at the beginning of the year and like get focused and meditate on on my hopes and goals for the year and. My word of the year in January 2020 um, was actually moxie, which is um, like force of character and determination and courage. And that really held up, I got to say, for, for 2020. My, my vision board is like eerily spot on predicting a lot of things that happened this year. So, um, but I had personally some major um, goals for myself and transformation career-wise, and I needed that kind of courage and determination to be able to make those giant leaps, um, which I'm happy to say that I have. But then also with everything going on, um, obviously this year, I, I mean, I'm homeschooling. I am not, I don't have that capacity in my life. I love my children, but I'm not a second grade teacher, you know, I'm terrible. I don't know this new math that everybody's doing, but here we are figuring it out. And so um, I think a shout out to everybody else who did that. But like what Bridget was saying, um, there have been a lot of blessings this year and um, as scary as it has been, and I know that it's been really traumatic for a lot of people. So I recognize my privilege in that. Um, Back last month, we had somebody close to us test positive. So my whole family had to um, quarantine, including my husband who is a physician. So he has been working this entire time when the rest of us were kind of buckled down in the spring. Um, And then I ended up testing positive for COVID because of my proximity to this person who's close to our family. Um, And as thankfully it was mild, you know, felt like mono that just kept repeating itself. Groundhog, Groundhog day mono, but those, 15 days or whatever that we had at home, my kids, my husband and I, I, it was the best thing that's ever happened to us. So I'm really like, I'm like getting emotional about it. Like it was to have that time as a family. It's like, wow, how can we ever recreate that? So yeah, balancing the guilt of that, but also like, wow, that was the best ever, especially when it was, you know, Thanksgiving and we weren't supposed to see him for a week. So what a weird year, you know? Yeah. Weird is not the word. Yeah, you don't want to come off come off as uh, tone deaf and be like, "Oh, I had a great year." Meanwhile, <laughs> and at the same time, it doesn't mean that if there are blessings around in that family time, there's no reason to say that you know me being miserable is going to help somebody else who's struggling. Like that doesn't help them to then struggle if you don't need to struggle. So. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a lot about grief this year. Um, you know, well talk about highs and lows from the year in a minute and obviously uh, maybe not obviously but my low for the year hands down has been losing my mother and we had a very close relationship and so grief has just been very close to my heart she died at the end of February and so right before everything um you know with the pandemic started closing things down and the thing about grief is that your biggest joy is never not tinged with sadness and your deepest sorrow is never not tinged with you know the the love that was there and so all of these feelings are mixed up um and it can be confusing emotional 
emotionally, but then it also is just so important to honor and recognize the mix of feelings. And it's like going from, you know, primary painting in primary colors to seeing a full range because there's so many things that we can access and experience when we acknowledge that, you know, it's not just happy all the time, but it's also not just sad all the time. And I think 2020 has been such a year of grief for all of us in so many different ways. And those, you know, just what you guys are all describing, it's all, it's all mixed in together. What about for you, Natalie? What's your word? Well, this is where uh, the uh, New Yorker in me comes out. Uh, <laughs> I know what you're going to say. <laughs> it's, it's actually, it's, it's a, it's not just a word. It's, it's a, uh, it's a word that encapsulates a feeling and an ethos. So get ready, Kevin. Uh, it's it's really just like it's it's. Fuck. <laughs> that's that's the word that comes to my mind, right? Yeah. And there's, there's 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 actually I think what you said, Grace, was so spot on. I'm so glad you put those words to the feeling because in that there's there's yes there's a sense of grief in that word there's a sense of anger in that word that that has that i've experienced throughout this year um a sense of in, incredulousness at uh things i think you know the politics in the year and the uh particularly the the uh sort of awakening related to race racial issues and all of that has been just this profoundly heavy grievous experience and and on the other side there's also this sort of sense of like uh uh wonder and and sort of an opening of awareness about what's really important about the sweet things in life about how to live life in a saner way um how to enjoy things uh we were you missed actually a conversation we had pre related to kids and uh you know the fact that that uh, Bridget's coworkers are are constantly badgering her and David about you know having kids you know which is a sport that we people who have kids like to play on our uh friends who don't have kids you know cuz misery loves miserable company um so so you know within that word for me is that also that sense as a parent of everything We've had to carry for for not just for me personally, but for our family, for our kids, for for managing this situation with them, um, managing it with my parents and my grandfather, who's who's actually who my parents are taking care of now in their home, which is a new development in 2020. Also, so there's there's just this this big uh, morass of stuff. And and just sometimes it gets overwhelming. It's just like it's like it's too much emotion. It's too much stuff in the space. And that's when the New Yorker comes out with that word. Well summarized, Naftali. Brutal honesty from the Integrated Care podcast here today. I love it. And that's I just you know, back to what I was saying before, it's all mixed in together. And I think we can't not acknowledge that piece of us that just you know, there's no New Yorker in me. I visited twice, but the, you know, the, the, the Texan and Oklahoma, you know, sweet, genteel, everything is flowery, but sometimes that's there. 
<laughs> it's there underneath and we need to express that too. Um, how to, you know, one of the things I do with my learners that is always meaningful and a time of connection for us is just to share our highs and lows. Um, one of my students one time called them our happies and crappies. You can think of happy and crappy or your high and low or whatever way you want to articulate it. Um, but it could be personal, it could be professional or socio-political, but I wonder if we could think through maybe what have been some of our lows and highs? I can start. Um, lows might be when I realize that I know nothing about first or second grade anything. And just, you know, holding that space again for my kids when, you know, life completely changed for them or, you know, concerns about sending my husband to the front lines and all of the COVID. So I think all of that. Um, highs, as I just tearfully explained, I think all that good old family time, which I made a joke with my husband last night. I'm like, I feel like we've really maxed out. We were talking about like wrapping presents alone tonight. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, we don't need to be with the kids. We've really maxed out this family time thing this year. <laughs> Jokingly, obviously we love it. Um, so highs are just that family time we've been able to have. And, um, I, we've mentioned before, but I left my role to, to pursue a more creative career. And I did get my first children's book published this year, which was also kind of a big deal. So for me. Yeah. And I wanted to kind of jump off of what uh, everybody's been saying so far uh, about the, the experiencing. I like what you said, Grace, about all the different colors and moving beyond the primary colors. And I think that there's a lot of memes. You know what? That's going to be my high. 2020 is the year of the memes. Yeah. One of the memes that I really, really resonated with was one that was saying that maybe 2020 was the year that had to happen. And yeah, it was an, I thought you were going to say shit show, Neftali. Uh, although, yeah, I think that there's not anybody who would say that 2020 wasn't an absolute dumpster fire shit show situation. It also maybe needed to happen, the, the racial tensions, the uh, just like the hectic aspects and like even within our residency, the growth that we've made with regards to curriculum and opening our ears and it was absolutely inspiring to see the residents all go on the march, uh, you know, folks of all races, all ethnicities, all gender, whatever, seeing them kind of come together and do the marches and say, you know what, we're not, we're not okay with the status quo anymore. So again, before anything comes off as too absolutely tone deaf, uh, I do think that there was a lot of rebirth, metaphorically speaking, and a lot of things that were unsustainable across all aspects and 2020 kind of brought it to a head. So again, I'm still okay with 2021 wanting to be a little bit better uh, if it wants to be. So yeah, there's just highs and lows on a daily basis. The highs of, wow, I can't believe all this uninterrupted time that I have with my family and the lows of something else being canceled or hearing about another tragic loss on the national news. And then the highs of getting out and being in nature followed by again, a low of hearing that somebody else was uh, affected by COVID. I'm just thinking about systems theory as I yeah. want to do. <laughs> I'm so excited for what you're going to say, Grace. I really am. You're so good at summarizing. I love I can't, it. I can't not look at things through the lens of systems oh, theory. I want to hear this. <laughs> you know, there's these systems principle of kind of homeostasis and sometimes morphostasis. Morphostasis, because even as we change, things really tend to stay the same. 
And a lot of times it's not until something is absolutely blown up before rebuilding can happen. And I, you know, I think there it's not a coincidence that, you know, the pandemic and cry attention to racial, racial injustice and all of this happened in the same year, even as it didn't just happen this year. And I think there are so many voices, important voices of, you know, people of color and activists and allies who are saying, y'all know this isn't just a 2020 problem, right? You know that these things are coming to a, 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 a boil of public awareness, but the, the history has been there and the racism and the problems have persisted over time, but the pandemic sort of turned all of our attention to those fault lines of injustice, to the iniquities that were happening. And we couldn't do much else. The, the world was shut down, our attention was focused, and the meme games were on point, just like you said, Bridget, this was the year of memes. Um, and memes became a form of you know, activism in some ways as well. And so I think it was my hope. I'm an eternal optimist. I always will be. I always am looking for silver linings. And there is not a silver lining to racism. There's not a silver lining to hundreds of thousands of people being affected by and dying from a pandemic. But at the same time, there needed to be some things blowing up for permanent or second order change to happen, for the pieces to rearrange in a different way and not just fall back to the baseline of how they have always been. And that's what systems theory teaches us. And that is my hope for, you know, it, you know, the clock's not gonna strike midnight here in a couple weeks on New Year's Eve and we leave all of this behind us. But all of the pieces, if we can re you know, through our course of effort and attention and listening and recognition of these problems, we can rebuild them as society into something else. Will always be my. Yeah, we we can't be the same after this. I, I it would be a tragedy if we if we did. I mean, I, even just personally speaking, just as an individual person, like as crappy as the year has been in many ways, like I, I don't want to go back to being 2019 NAF, you know, I, I, uh, 2020 NAF is here. I want to keep that person. Um, and I can think about that similarly in terms of uh, systems as well. You know, just think about uh, primary care. Primary care has, has changed. It's shifted. There's been an emphasis on, on things that were important to emphasize. Um, you know, teams are ever more important than ever before, right? I mean, think about how important it is to have really high functioning teams to deal with the stress, to be resilient in this kind of situation. Think about how important it's been to transition to telehealth to provide that option for millions of patients during this time. I mean, that's transformative, right? We, we can't go back um, on that. Um, think about how much attention has been put on physicians and uh, just health provider wellness, right? Um, and, you know, we, we need to we need to keep we need to keep working on that stuff. I mean that we can't just sort of assume, oh, pandemic's gone. Uh, you know, racial issues are in our background. Politics is in our background. We can just 
go back to life as usual. And I, I don't think that would be a satisfactory way. I think we adapted a lot quicker than what we thought. There was a lot of things that were put on the back burn burner. And as you guys are saying, you know, it got blown up and we were forced in a way to respond. And so for, for years, it's like, oh, well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. That's an important issue. And it's like, no, we need to, we need to change this curriculum and we need to change how we hire an interview. We need to change this now. And, and it was crazy how quick when all the effort was concerted together of, no, this is no longer sustainable. We need to be better, not later. We need to be better now. How quickly we got that done or all the different workflows with the tele situation. That was a situation that I feel like if there wasn't some type of major blow up, it could have taken five, six years to get a workflow, but we had that workflow done in two weeks. So it's just, it really was surprising. I don't know if it was depressing or surprising, who knows, somewhere in the shades of how quickly we got things done. I'm like, were we just putting this off and we just, or we just were too distracted, you know, and then there was nothing, there was, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. There was no main thing because we were too distracted. So yeah, it was a whole feeling of, wow, we're, we're adapting. We're changing. This is great. The metamorphosis. And it's like, oh my gosh, we really put that off along. We're putting it off. We're actively putting it off. So it was kind of depressing all at the same time. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, that's actually one of my main reflections of the year. It's, it's the sense that we identified insanity we the insanity has been there in us and in, in in us personally in our systems of work and life and and all of that we have been putting off really important things even if you think about that whole idea of like how we're spending time with our family now you know it's like that's insanity right that's insanity to say that you you we needed a an event to slow us down enough to attend to the most important part of our life right like that, that's insanity. That doesn't make any sense. And so, yeah, I think, I think we saw insanity in so many areas of our lives. We're like, how is it possible that my black brothers and sisters have to live day to day with this reality? And we're not talking about it and we're not taking ownership, right? That, that's insanity, right? That, that, just, that, that shouldn't jive in your head. That should be like, no, that's something we address right now, right? That's something we kind of, we, we stay on top of right now, right? So, you know, I, I, think, I think that's one of the gifts of it. And just like you said, Bridget, there's a part of it that does depress you a little bit, but there's also a part of it that's like freeing. It's like, finally, let's talk about what's really important and let's do it. Let's do something about it, you know? And I see that too, just in general with the way that all of a sudden everybody had to change how they were working, right? Like no matter what field you're in, it was flipped on its head. And it's, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't have to like live to work anymore. We can really make work fit in with these other things that all of a sudden we forgot were important. And I, I love that. I love the flexibility that it's like, oh, wait. <laughs> We can do this from home, obviously for a lot of things, as we knew earlier when my kids were like running in my office, but you know, some things aren't ideal, but there, there is a balance. I can get mental health care from my computer and I don't have to drive 30 minutes and arrange for extra childcare and do all of that. What an amazing thing 
that we're doing now to accommodate not just everybody, but the people that need it the most and have, by the way, always needed this the most, not just in 2020. Naftali, what's been a low and a high for you this year? Yeah, well, um, I, I think um, a high for me, this is obviously work-related, but um, our, our conference, um, we had to transition to from an in-person to a virtual, which is a nightmare uh, that we lived with for a while. Um, and there was real concern, I mean, around like, are we going to make it financially this year, right? I mean, it's real concern, especially um, around the... April, May period where we're looking ahead. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know if anybody would show up to a virtual conference. We don't know um, how much, whether, whether we're going to get in trouble with our hotel contract with Philadelphia and whether they'd hold us at several hundred thousand dollars of liability there. So there's some real stress there. Um, team did a great job. Our members came through in spades. We had a great conference. And I think specifically that plenary session that we had, the opening plenary with Deepu and Jeff and, and Monica and Ebony and uh, Andy, um, just sort of talking through the intersection of COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement was, I think, the highlight of the year. It was just such an amazing experience to have that happen in a virtual space was, was, was great. Um, so that, that's definitely a high and um, I, I think I think a low. That I don't think there was a specific low. I think there's just been a series of like these spaces of super low energy times. Like I don't know how to describe it, but there's just times when I've just hit this place where I'm just like, like I think all the work related to having to work through stuff has taxed me, and then I get to these places where I'm just like, I got my brain's like, you got nothing left right now. Right. Um, and I've actually learned to kind of like be okay with that and just be like, yep. Okay. That's where, that's where I, where I am right now. And so even that low has kind of been a, a blessing because it's taught me a lot about, you know, life and the ebb and flow and especially in a pandemic year, what you have to accept is part of life. You're going to have these low times. This year has really made me think, like, what do other people do when 90% of their friends aren't all therapists? You know, like, how do people cope with everything that's going on when you don't have like 10 years of specialized training slash all of your friends do too? Um, because yeah, there's been a lot of times, Natalia, like you said, that this year I've been like, okay, we're going to work through this. It's okay to feel all of these things. And we're just going to sit with it like I'm my own client or something. Yeah, I, th I think that's what's been so amazing about coming into work every day is that at least for 28 minutes or however long my visit is, I can talk with somebody and say, it's okay to not be okay. And to identify that we are in a global pandemic and there's not an instruction book for this. And patients have really, really responded to that. Just one person to say, that yeah things are really really effed up right now yeah i think this year for me has been about giving a lot of grace <laughs> about uh, making space for those things for things to not be perfect or be even as i had hoped for them sometimes to turn out but sometimes good enough has been good enough this year has been more than good enough 
um, as I said earlier, my low was definitely losing my mom. You know, we were so fortunate to have so much time with her after her diagnosis. She had pink, stage four pancreatic cancer and she was diagnosed in September of 2018. Um, and when she was first diagnosed, I didn't think that she would make it six more weeks because she was so weak, but we ended up having her about, um, about 17, 18 more months. And so it was really time that she felt pretty good for most of that time and a year that we didn't think that we would have, but then losing her and, and living this year without her has definitely been um, the low and a really just um, grief uh, has been, grief has been a present friend this year. Um, and I think out of that grief, there's been a lot of care and a lot of connection from people who love me and have given support and have walked through this road with me in ways that I can only repay through, um, you know, sending those forward and being present and um, and loving to the people that are around me. And I know that that honors my mom too, just being being close in those relationships to those people. And so um, that certainly has been my low and has, um, like I said, kind of led to a place of just trying to give grace all around for myself, especially, but for the people in my life as we're all navigating such difficult things this year. Um, my high has been those relationships and those connections. I wanna sort of use that as a chance to pivot us into some lessons that we learned this year, um, you know, giving grace. And I think we've we've referenced a lot of them as we've been talking about that these problems didn't, you know, one lesson I feel like for all of us collectively is that these problems didn't happen in an instant, but we also are immeasurably resilient and adaptable and can come up with wonderfully creative solutions in a short period of time when our feet are held to the fire. Um, and also lessons of grace and being present in the moments and, and coping with what's with what's in front of us. But I wonder if there's anything else that rises to the top for you as you think about that idea of lessons from this year. I think kind of what you alluded to, um, Grace, my lesson from this year is actually my word for 2021 and it's flow. So it's this year has taught me that, you know, we can plan all we want and have all these grand ideas, but when it comes down to it, we are on a minute to minute flow basis. And so learning to be okay with that and remind myself that it does end up working out okay. And I will be okay and we will be okay. Um, and just, you know, ride down that river. Yeah, I think the intentionality and routine has really helped me just having on a daily, weekly basis, know what's important for that day being intentional about it, the intentional self-care, the intentional connection. I think before it was just kind of rolling with the flow, but not necessarily, it, was, it wasn't necessarily in the flow that Christine's talking about. It was more of a mindlessness. And uh, I know that Christine's gonna be saying, you know, flow as in this like trust process and you're, you're present in it. So yeah, instead of just getting washed away by the waters, you're kind of intentional. And I, I think that that's been a huge lesson. Yeah, I think, I think I would echo that. I think it, I think it's, um, for me, the lesson has been, um, just to, to be better, 
Um, I mean that like in capital B, like be better, like be in that space better, you know, be in that moment better, like stop trying to be someplace else. Because um, someplace else is not here and it's not, not always, you know, the future is not what you think it's going to be. Um, it's futile to try to force it to be what you want it to be, you know, that kind of a thing. Um, and there, there are so many things you miss out when you're not able to, to simply be in the space you're in. Um, so I think there's that undercurrent of trust as well that that's in that word flow, right? It's that sense of like, this is a space in the place where you're meant to be, be faithful here, you know, with, with, you know, your time and your effort, your energy. Um, and, and it's amazing how things work out when you do that. Right. As opposed to like, say strategic planning your life or <laughs> stuff. Um, so, yeah. I spend a lot of time reminding myself, just like what you said, you know, plans will be plans and maybe they'll happen or maybe they won't. But whatever situation that I'm in, in six days or six weeks or six months from now, I'll carry not just the wisdom and perspective that I have right now, but also what I will have learned between now and then. So I try to trust that future self um, that she will be able to navigate whatever kind of, um, difficult thing may come up. I'm going to pause this for just a moment. Um, we're going to listen to our Inside CFHA segment to hear what things are going on now in our organization. And then we're going to close out talking about our hopes for 2021. And even though he's not with us in person um, for this recording this morning, DPO has recorded a closing reflection. Uh, to close the year for us. And so we'll end there. But let's listen first to our Inside CFHA. Hi, everybody. I'm Naftali Serrano. I'm the Chief Executive Officer here at the Collaborative Family Healthcare Association. And this is Inside CFHA, we, where we take just a few minutes out of our monthly podcast to tell you a little bit about what's happening behind the scenes. And as usual, I have my partner in crime, Marta Saucedo. Marta, say hello to the folks out there. Hi everyone, here we are recording our last CFA challenge of 2020. I'm looking forward to start 2021. <laughs> yes, yeah, we need to put 2020 in our rearview mirror as quickly as possible, I yes, think. I agree. Uh, so in line with the idea that it's the end of the year when we're recording this podcast, you may be listening to it over the holiday break or even into January, we thought we'd just do a little bit of a review and let you kind of peek into what we do related to technical assistance and how 2020 has impacted our technical assistance. So uh, first, just so folks understand what technical assistance is, Marta, can you tell the folks out there maybe a little bit about what we, what we do and what technical assistance is? Sure. So one of the things that we do at CFHA is that we foster and help uh, any agency or school or um, anyone who's actually interested in learning more about integrated care or wants to kind of implement a program or, in, you know, increase the program uh, and they don't know how. So we come as a consultants to you guys in a way that uh, we're flexible and we try to meet your needs. We don't have a, a box fits all. Uh, we try to adjust to what's in the need, but with the idea of always um, working to help you with 
whatever it has to be with integrated care. So from billing, program, training, whatever that is. Yeah, so we've, we've done quite a few uh, different kinds of things. And, and just to clarify, you know, sometimes those consultants are actually Martha and myself. We, we handle some of the projects ourselves, but we also have uh, CFHA consultants, uh, member consultants that we assign projects to, uh, to work on based on expertise and need and capacity and all that. So, you know, one of the things Martha and I were talking about here in preparation for this segment is that we've had to make a lot of adaptations in 2020, including the fact that obviously we just couldn't travel this year. And usually we're doing um, a good amount of on-site coaching. That's one of the hallmarks of what we do. We like to be right on site with you. We like to coach clinicians, walk through clinics, see patients together in clinic, and do a lot of those kind of things, hold strategy meetings, things like that, but we haven't been able to do that necessarily. So instead of that, Martha, what have we been doing <laughs> to, try to try to continue to, to support these, these folks? I think we have been doing what everybody is doing, being very creative to see how we can continue working uh, with the new norm, right? Uh, but one of the things that we realize uh, a lot of the clinics were uh, struggling with is that they were struggling with the same. Everything got stopped. Uh, they wanted to support patients and the way just to adjust in a virtual matter was having a lot of challenges in some of the places in particularly with communication, with communication to providers, to the teammates, uh, because everybody was trying to figure things out in a new way. And that's when we came up as a support to kind of help them figure out what would be the best way to improve that, those communication skills uh, with their teammates and how to better uh, support the patients. And, and another thing that was also effectively for a lot of them was the, the financial part. Um, they were very stressed about the numbers and how um, also just the way to uh, build telehealth. Some of the places in the beginning that was not happening and making that big uh, shift, uh, but they had Martha and Eftali most of the times where we were uh, offering that uh, support. Yeah, and, and I think that one of the things we offered to clinics during this time period was a little a lot of uh, normalization about what was happening nationally. So that's one of the benefits we have since we are a national entity and we have members who are feeding uh, intelligence back to us about what's happening in different states and what they're doing. It wasn't so much that you and I were coming up with all the ideas. It was more that we were collecting all of these ideas from our great members and then able to talk with the clinics that we were engaged in technical assistance with and say, hey, this is what clinics elsewhere are doing to keep their teams together. These are some ideas for workflows. Um, these are ways to stay connected with your providers. These are ways to support your team so that your team doesn't burn out during this very, very stressful time. Um, so we we're able to coalesce that knowledge and and help them kind of uh, work through that. So uh, yeah. I think, I think I'm, I feel very proud about the work we did to support those clinics. And also the work that the clinics were doing. I mean, they were really champions to kind of step it up and uh, adjust really quick to everything. Because I have to say that uh, all the clinics that were supporting to the TA, they really were hard and, and they were really trying to do their best um, in, in, like I said, this, this new reality. Another, yeah. yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, I want to reiterate that. Super proud of our clinics. Um, you know, that's one of the fun things about this job is that we support these folks who are doing such great work in their communities. Most of the clinics that we work in are underserved communities of one form or another. 
Um, so for example, one of our one of our projects that Martha and I really love is is actually a, a uh, project that supports uh, farm workers. And so we're, we're able to provide some support to the outreach workers who provide support to the farm workers in their state. Um, and it makes us so proud to be a part of strengthening that network of, of outreach workers because of the work that they do, how important it is to that, that community. So um, yes, yeah, super proud of our clinics and the hard work that they did. And I, I think a lot of the, the things that we did uh, last year, we were both excited because we were gonna actually travel to one of uh, several universities throughout the state to kind of, you know, provide some education about integrated care, particularly in master programs. Uh, they were gonna do the summits and we were already invited. I actually already have my ticket. Like it was like I was leaving in the next couple of weeks and then COVID came and everything was stopped. So it was delayed, but luckily, um, like everybody in the school system, they went virtually. So we were able to provide the summits via Zoom. And I have to admit that I was kind of nervous as to how it's going to be two hours training when you don't have that, you know, physical uh, feedback of the nonverbals of people who are listening to you. But it was a very uh, rewarding experience to be able to train not just physically, but also virtually. And even though we do a lot of virtual training um, in an academic scenario, it was, it was just different. And it did work really well. So we were able also to do, I think, two uh, summits of two universities in the last year. Yeah, yeah. So that, that highlights an, uh, another sort of area of creativity. We had to engage these, these uh, educational experiences that we would have done in person. We, we did them remotely. And like you said, Martha, I think I was surprised too, like how well they went and how engaging they were, how, how effective they were. Uh, I have a feeling that we'll be doing a lot more of these sort of uh, TA projects with universities um, remotely in the future because it's a lot less expensive for folks. It's a lot easier to schedule uh, because of the lack of travel. However, I still would like to travel a little bit. Yes. <laughs> Especially to nice areas. <laughs> I have to say that if have someone have told me the 2020 is going to be this way and you will do your TA's work like this, I will be like, there's no way it's not going to work. But now that it's over and we did it and everybody, you know, was committed, our clients, our consultants, uh, it was, I have to say it was a good year. It was a really great year to realize that as human beings, we're creative and we can do this. When you are together and committed to what you do and you're in love with what you do, you're able uh, to, you know, confront any challenges and, and adjust and change and uh, do things well. Yeah, well, that's a great way to end our time uh, because uh, we're excited about 2021 and the continuing TA work that we provide here at CFHA. We have lots of ongoing projects. Um, if those of you out there are interested in learning more about our technical assistance work, you can visit our website, integratedcareconsultation.com and learn a little bit more. But until next time, which next time will be 2021, Yay. Uh, for Martha and myself, Neftali, we'll see you next year. Happy holidays, everyone. Bye. Okay, thank you guys for recording that and for filling us in on everything that's going on. Um, I wonder as we're closing our conversation this morning, what are y'all's hopes for 2021? Travel, lots and lots of travel. 
and taking with us the wisdom that we've learned in 2020. Oh, yes, that too. <laughs> oh, man, I'm almost afraid to hope for something. <laughs> That's the, that was my honest first reaction, which is the, the, the anxious side of me. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know, Bridget. What do you, you, you got, you got any hopes uh, other than a repeat for the Lakers? Oh, that's absolutely a hope. They, they look better than ever. So, and that's another really cool thing about LeBron James. So you, you not like his game. If you, if you don't like his style or whatnot, but you can't mess with his philanthropy and what he's done every single week, he's doing something else for the community and for uh, racial injustice and uh, the NBA had absolutely, absolutely used their entire platform. I don't know if anybody watched any of it, but their entire platform was on these social issues, which historically has not been necessarily popular because there was too much, there was a lot of fear around we're, we're gonna lose revenue. And uh, LeBron and the current NBA players basically said, no, this is too important. So uh, I am hopeful for the NBA, woo -woo, NBA and for the Lakers. And uh, at trusting the process, I wrote down the word trust, trust that we'll just keep moving forward. I'm super excited to help other organizations through my consulting work, set up BHCs to where they can have a successful BHC service and get more and more folks help and meet them where they go, which as we know is primary care. And I'm super excited to get a few pa uh, patients, a few employees hired couple more BHCs. We have three requisitions out right now, and hopefully we'll be filling them very soon to get my team all um, uh, built up so that we can help as many folks as possible. Yeah. And I, I think piggybacking off of that, Bridget, I think my, my main hope is that the disruption that has occurred results in uh, really creative, groundbreaking approaches to um, doing better uh, primary care and, and better, frankly, health system-wide in general, right? So I'm really hopeful that we'll start thinking of things like, you know, we, we talked way back in February in one of our podcasts about um, families as a unit of care. And it's, it's sort of that thinking around how we pay for care and how that drives how what we do clinically and feeling like this is a year to say, look, we made a lot of changes in 2020. We showed that we could. We showed that the system was resilient enough. Things didn't fall apart when we made all these changes. So what if we decided to pay for primary care differently so that we weren't, um, you know, judging BHCs on, you know, individual encounters, but actually judging the team on population care, right? Um, what if we decided to say, hey, you can treat that mom and the kid, uh, because that's what makes sense from us uh, societally, you know? Um, so I, I, I'm hopeful that there'll be some more foundational change in healthcare uh, around that, that evidences our, our willingness to take the key lessons of 2020 and say, these core values that we have around patient care, let's enact them. Let's do something about them. Let's not continue to live in the insanity of the way things are simply because that's just the way we do things. That's the way we pay for healthcare. That's the way we deliver healthcare. That's the way we treat our healthcare employees. We don't have to live that way. So that's my hope. I think that's so important. And thinking about that, 
broad, you know, policy level change is a wonderful hope because of all of the trickle down effects that that can have and all of the, you know, systems and then providers and then patients that that will touch. I definitely share that hope with you. Uh, I'm a person who runs on hope. So there's a lot of things that I'm hoping for, um, both specific and broad. So, you know, specifically, I'm hoping to have a doctoral intern next year, which would be a new role for our clinic and a new exciting thing for our residency. I'm hoping to be able to um, work on some grants uh, and try to receive some grant funding for some other ideas I have. I'm hopeful for project that I've been meaning to do for a long time, working on biofeedback with our residents, that I'll finally be able to get that done. Um, but I'm also hopeful for a lot of really broad things. I'm hopeful for continued connection. I'm hopeful for a little bit of rest, a little bit of a break in the traumatic stressors that are happening. I think that would be really lovely. Um, but also just hopeful for you know, the creativity and resilience of humanity and that we'll continue to see that light of growth even in the midst of um, the dark, the dark of the things that have happened. So thank you all for joining me in this time of reflection. Thank you for waiting for me as I was late this morning. These are some of my favorite conversations to have. So I'm really thankful I didn't have to miss it entirely. Um, thank you to our listeners for joining us. We are, you know, one other thing to add to our hopes is we hope that you'll join us again in 2021 as we continue to have these conversations about integrated care, both the macro level of the systems and policy and also the micro level of specific patient care. We would love to hear from you if there's thoughts that you have or, you know, ways that we can continue to adapt the podcast to meet your needs. Um, but let's close out today listening as Deepu shares with us an ending reflection for this podcast in this month, but also this year. Here is a blessing for the end of the year that has been very heavy. And yet, I sense that we all yearn to make a difference. And making a difference often means welcoming emotions that are not easy. Have a meaningful and reflective end of 2020. May we be blessed with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships so that we may live deep within our hearts. May we be blessed with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of people so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May we be blessed with tears to shed for those who suffer from pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and turn their pain into joy. And may each of us be blessed with enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in this world, so that we can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and the poor. Thank you. Thank you, Deepu. Thank you, Christine and Bridget and Naftali for joining me. And thank you to our listeners. We'll see you again next month.